the banquet room shone. The staff had done an outstanding job, even though Leela Marley was hardly a stern mistress. The chandeliers sparkled, the sunset curtains gleamed, and the peacock blue mirrors, hand-painted in Rajasthan, reflected Leela's customers faithfully, more faithfully than some of them wanted at this hour of the night. Leela's salon was a fashionable destination for men and women who wanted to spend an evening gambling and listening to music in an elegant townhouse in the heart of Mayfair in the city of London, but who didn't go to the more notorious gambling hells. At two in the morning, the salon was packed and that, along with the hundreds of candles that studded the room, was making it hard to breathe. Leela fanned herself with her pretty cockade fan, painted with a trellis of roses, desperate tonight for the salon to end so she could make her way up to bed, collapse on the cool sheets, and not wake up again until noon at the earliest. She stifled a sigh. Her customers looked as if they could keep going for hours. The PK table and Faro were the busiest, but her customers came to her salon because they liked that it had a hint of something different, a magical something that only she could bring, and so the Indian rummy and shatranj tables had takers too. No. No one looked in a hurry to call it a night. As she sat at one of the PK tables, Walsham entered the banquet room. He looked so severe, even more than usual, that Leela's heart sank. He walked over to her, his back rigid, dodging the card tables and the huddles of standing people. When he reached her, he bent and said in a hushed voice, A person at the door, Miss Marley. He may as well have said, A cockroach, Miss Marley. Leela blinked, but nothing else showed on her face. Her mind was racing. Who on earth had turned up at her house at two in the morning that would make Walsham look so constipated? He normally showed customers straight into the salon. He didn't keep them waiting at the door. Smile firmly in place, she leaned forward and tapped the Dowager Countess of Ellingham's hand with her fan. You must allow me to refill your glass, Lady Ellingham. The Dowager Countess might not have allowed this kind of familiarity from anyone else, but most things could be forgiven and eccentric, and Leela Marley had spent nearly five years learning to be one. The Dowager harumphed, keeping her eyes on her carts. I will find you some punch, my own special brew. This was one of her eccentricities. Leela blended her own iced champagne punch. Some of her guests called it the Leela and she liked to play with what she put in it. Tonight, it was apple cider with a hint of ginger, a touch of sugar, and the secret ingredient, the tiniest pinch of cardamom from the Indies. The dowager inclined her head. Leela sprang to her feet as if she weren't completely exhausted and her butler Walsham wasn't making her anxious. Her dark curls were coiled high on the top of her head and then left to fall down her back. She pushed away unruly strands that were clinging damply to her forehead. Her net silver overdress sparkled, and she shook out the folds of the midnight blue silk dress that hugged her figure and, followed by the stiffening Walsham, turned to make her way out of the heaving room. But this was easier said than done. The room was packed, and everyone wanted a piece of Leela Marley. Some wanted as many pieces as they could get. Donald Barrymore, Viscount of Herringford, was the first to stop her, with a hand squeezing her upper arm, which she batted playfully away with her fan. His face was purple. The waistband of his trousers was bursting, and his cravat 
more wilted than the hothouse lilies that one of her admirers had sent her, fresh from his estate, just this morning. Herringford had that tottering look that said he should have stopped drinking about three drinks ago. Leela could calculate these things down to the mouthful. She sighed inwardly. Lord Herringford, what a hot summer we're having, she said in her usual vibrant voice. She checked herself. The cheery tone was grating on her nerves tonight. The man didn't notice the complete lack of originality in the remark. I heard you're backing Kenneth Lordsley to win the race to Brighton, my dear, he said, leaning closer, licking his lips at the deep V of her neckline. You know his races don't hold a candle to the ones I'm putting up for my nephew. He squinted at her cleavage as if he was thinking about diving into it. Her smile widened. She placed her fan under his chin and lifted his face so he was forced to make eye contact. You're quite right, Lord Herringford. At this rate, I'll be forced to run the race myself. She was turning away. She meant it as a joke, after all. It would be the scandal of the summer if a woman raced a curricle to Brighton. But, to her surprise, it created an excited hum. I'd lay a monkey to see that, said Henry Alston. She turned to look at him. He was pink-faced too, but in a young and over-eager way. He was slim, only nineteen, and his chestnut locks were flying in all directions. He blushed. In his own way, he was just as painfully eager as Lord Herringford, but it was hard to be anything but kind to him. He was just a boy. Leela's eyes darted towards Walsham. He looked as though he was willing to be patient until the end of time. She bit her lip, but gave her guests her sparkling smile. At this late hour, the women were laughing louder and the men were swaying dangerously close. It took several minutes to disentangle from the group. It was a good thing, Leela thought, as Herringford poured at the air behind her, that she had given up trying to save her reputation a long time ago. As she started to wind her way to the door again, she noticed a man she hadn't seen in her salons before, standing nearby, speaking to no one, an amber glass of brandy held carelessly in one hand. He was over medium height, and his broad shoulders and chest made him look imposing. Her practised eye noticed the strength of his thighs and the understated but elegant clothes. He was wearing pantaloons and hessians, but she imagined he would be more comfortable in riding clothes. The hair was dark, the face broad, the eyebrows shapely, but these were not what caught her attention. She couldn't look away from the piercing crystal blue eyes that were looking at her, not lasciviously like Herringford, nor with a deep blush like Henry Alston, but with strong dislike. As she stared at him, he didn't turn away, but instead took a deliberate sip of his drink. She was startled, wondering who he was and why he was looking at her with such loathing. She made herself turn away. When she finally made it out of the ballroom, she shut the door behind her and sagged. A sliver of longing pierced through her, though for what she didn't know exactly. She opened her eyes and shook herself. This wouldn't do. Whatever the longing was for, it could never be hers. She squared her shoulders as Walsham led the way to the front door. I told the person that the back door would be more suitable, but she is refusing to leave until she has seen you, Miss Marley. Since when do you let people refuse you anything, Walsham? Leela murmured. But then she stepped out into the humid night air 
and saw the reason for Walsham's disapproval and his reticence. The girl standing outside was dressed in rags, big with child and fuming, and she looked as though nothing, no woman, no man, no mountain would dislodge her from Leela Marley's front door.